It's exciting downstairs. It's exciting up here. I hope everybody is enjoying their uh, vacation time this week, if you have time off, as we have an opportunity to kind of reflect and, and remember those who have uh, served and uh, uh, not just served, but gave everything that they had, including their life, in order for us to enjoy the freedoms that we have this morning, the ability to gather together and worship. And um, I think that's a really important thing to recognize this morning. Um, I have family members who are active military, retired military, some that have, uh, are no longer with us. Um, so it is important to just kind of stop and pause and reflect that um, there are people um, that we will never meet that um, have proven to be more than willing to make sacrifices that I'm not sure I'm willing to make for myself at times. So I, I do pray that as you uh, have probably a cookout tomorrow and get together with family, that that does become a part of uh, what you do is just remembering with uh, not just to remember, but with a thankful mindset and a thankful heart that this is an opportunity. We can say we have freedom. We have freedom to worship. We have freedom to pray. We have freedom to say what we want to say and a number of other things, even though sometimes we might look at the freedom to say whatever we want to say and go, oh, I don't say those things. But hey. That's, that's where we live, and I'm, I'm thankful for that because it gives us the ability to be here and to talk about God and talk about this whole crazy idea of this, this new kingdom, one that Jesus talked about, one that Pastor Dennis has been diligently teaching about over the last uh, number of weeks as we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount. So Ben had mentioned it in worship this morning, a ministry fair we have coming up. This is a really cool idea. We're trying to figure out what is an opportunity for us to um, kind of present, not just to our church, what Harmony is, what we do. Over the number of years since Pastor John has come, we have built back to a position of health. We've, we've built back to have uh, healthy opportunities to minister to our community, both in the church and outside of the church. So the ministry fair is like a job fair. And you're thinking, I knew it. He was going to try to tell us we need more volunteers. Well, we do. We do. We definitely do. But it's more than that. Really, it's an opportunity. We're going to open it up to the public. We're going to uh, try to get some guerrilla marketing out, put it on the, the, the local community boards. We're sending information home to the parents of our school. It's an opportunity for people who might be disenfranchised, might be new to the area looking for a church, might be uh, never really understood what is Harmony. I drive by this building, you know, a hundred times in a year. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to come in and see what we're all about. So we want to showcase our ministries. We're asking some of our ministry heads to be available, to, to man a little table just to, hey, this is what our ministry is. This is what we do. This is when we do it. And if you're interested, here's some skills and talents that would benefit our ministry. And here's some entry-level stuff. Entry-level is the best because there's like zero pressure. Entry level is like, I can shake hands and help set up a coffee table. I don't have to talk to anybody. All the way up to like, hey, I know how to design and build web platforms. And we got a spot for you if you do that too, I promise you. So we're going to uh, open it up to the public. We're going to host it in here. We're going to have an awesome time of, of singing and enjoying each other's fellowship as we, as we worship in song together. So I'm encouraging you, June 10th, it's a Friday night. We're going to uh, do a little cookout stuff, have some hot dogs and hamburgers, and we're just going to have a good time. 
time. I think it's a pretty cool thing. So if you need more information or you have questions, feel free to reach out. Hey, Pastor Tim, uh, what about A, B, and C? We'll, we'll hopefully get an answer for that. We also have VBS coming up, which is going to be really fun. Uh, we're excited about that too. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning as we get into our topic of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at uh, the, ter- the sermon title this morning is I for an I. And you'll notice it's purposely spelled wrong on your notes. You're like, what? I? Yeah, because this is about us. It's about us as individuals. It's about our identity. And what are we willing to give up for that identity? So let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful this morning to be here. And uh, I'll be honest, this has been a fun sermon to kind of put together and think through and uh, trying to avoid the the desire of myself to just go as deep as possible when really like we prayed this morning in uh, worship time before we came out that this is this is simple stuff this is this is these are your words these are your examples this is this is what you preach to your disciples and to your followers and if we could just understand at the same level that your disciples understood the impact that it has on us is so far greater than anything we could possibly try to cram into there so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would honor the, the, the simple approach that we're taking to understand your word, that we're taking to understand what you've called us to be, but, God, that it would challenge us much deeper than just what the surface scratches. So help us, this, Father. We ask these things in your name. Amen. How many of you have seen, Pastor John has referred to it, I think Pastor Dennis has referred to it, it's one of my favorite movies, The Untouchables. With Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. And there's this, this scene in the movie. It's about maybe two to three minutes long. It's a little earlier on when Malone and Ness are forming this relationship. And they're sitting in a church. And Malone and him are talking about capturing Al Capone. And he's, he's, just, he's frustrated. He can't figure out how to do it. And, and Malone says to him, What? You really want to get this guy. You really want to get him. You really want to end this. What are you prepared to do? And Ness says, anything within the law. And Malone says, and then what are you prepared to do? And he tells him, listen, listen, if you want to catch this guy, you have to be ready to go all the way. He's not going to end just by, hey, let's figure this out. He says, it's going to end when one of you dies. And then he says, if he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. If he sends one of ours to the hospital, we send one of theirs to the morgue. It's the Chicago way. Jesus talks about the Chicago way briefly as he opens this portion of his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, this is where we're starting today in verse 38. We're going to make it through 42. It's only a handful of verses Jesus says this, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's the Chicago way. You take something of mine, I'm taking something of yours. But, you know, as as someone who's in college and and Ben appreciates this, and if you've been through college or you're in college now and, and you write papers, there's a very important special word that they teach you very early on called plagiarism. Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, 
Plagiarism. Plagiarism can get you expelled from school. It could make you fail a class. It could get you in a lot of trouble. I want to tell you this morning, the Chicago way is plagiarism. It's plagiarism. Why? Because it's not technically the Chicago way. This is kind of just repeating the Mosaic law. And here's how. In the Mosaic law, there are three portions of scripture, uh, Exodus chapter 21, 23, and 24. I didn't list them out specifically to read them together because I'm just going to tell you basically what they say. So Exodus chapter 21, Leviticus chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 19, all of them say the same thing. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, bruise for a bruise, stuff for stuff, this for that, like for like. And it's this continual cycle of, of here's what we do. If someone offends me, I have the legal judicial right to offend them back. If they take from me, I can take back. It's legal. But the whole purpose of that was to create an environment that was a like-for-like like example. And how does it turn into the Chicago way? Well, if you rewind back to Genesis chapter 4, there's this part where Lamech is talking about retribution. He's talking about vengeance. And he's talking about Cain. And he's talking about, I killed this one, I killed that one. He talks about taking it from the very basic level of like-for-like like to like tenfold. So it's quickly spirals out of control when we try to take this idea of vengeance and justice and retribution on ourselves. There's an overlap of this concept throughout pretty much every ancient culture. All the ancient laws. Who's familiar with Hammurabi? Hammurabi's Code 196 says, If a man destroys the eye of another man, they shall destroy his eye. If a man breaks another man's bone, he shall break their bone. And it goes on and on about this whole idea of retribution. Why? Why is it that there are these, these, these cultures and these people groups that are outside of the, the Israelites and the Hebrews that have these same understanding that, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to keep going back and forth. Because the whole purpose of this concept, it was to create a social construct that everyone could agree. Everyone looks at this and goes, hey, this is a good rule. This is a good law. We should keep it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Let's just kind of limit how far we go. Let's make sure that we have people protected. Because here's, here's the thing. They're not necessarily saying that revenge is a bad idea. They're just kind of saying we want to limit to where you can go, how far you can take your revenge, how far you can take your retribution. Here's the problem. The judicial way always gives way to the individual way. We love laws. We love authority. Some of you are like, yeah, we do. Some of you are like, I hate authority. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Let me just pause it for just one moment how quickly this whole idea of the judicial way giving way to the individual way spins out of control. One of my favorite, it's not, it's not favorite for a good reason. It's probably my favorite because it's such a perfect example of what happens when we lose sight of who the true authority is in our lives. Judges chapter 21, verse 25 says this. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. 
There was no authority. There was no ruler. There was no one to enforce laws. And what happened? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's not uncommon today that we see everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. When there is a failure to recognize authority, we become our own authority. And when we become our own authority, things quickly spiral out of control. Why? Because we're broken people. That's the simple, the simple fact of it. So Jesus takes this whole mindset, this eye for an eye, something that has, has started with good intentions, that has started with, hey, we want justice, we want to make sure people are taken care of, we want to make sure that people understand that if Gary steals from Vince, Vince can get reimbursed for that somehow. If, if Gary steals Vince's guitar, Vince can go take Gary's guitar. But Gary doesn't want to give up his guitar, so now he's ready to fight for it. But Vince is like, but it's mine. I have a legal right to it. And Gary's like, over my dead body. And Vince is like, fine. <laughs> that's how, that's what's happening. That's where we're at with this. So when, when Jesus pauses, he, he says, hey, there's a different way to think about this. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to just read 39 through 42, and then we'll go back through. I'm telling you, reading through this is like, this stuff is like the basic, it's like the most simple. There's really no need to like dig in deep and try to pull out big, deep, long, doctrinal, theological concepts, because Jesus is like simple. Here's the deal. He says this, I say to you, right? We open with the first eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, I say to you, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also, continuing on, it says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And lastly, verse 42, he says, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, I do not believe that these verses are a call to accept violence on your behalf. So what I mean is this. If you are in a situation or you know of a situation where someone is being abused, someone is being uh, taken advantage of, someone is being mistreated, this verse doesn't say, just turn the other cheek. It's okay. We'll figure it out. We love Jesus. You're not a punching bag. All right? I'm serious about that. My dad used to say, I've only got four cheeks to turn. I'm like, okay, as a kid, I didn't get that, but I get it now. And some of you are like, I get it. Totally get it. So this is not, we're not building like this, this, this super serious level of pacifism where we're just okay with being mistreated, where we're okay with being abused, where we're okay with violence against us. Now, we can build doctrines and we can build statements about that through scripture based on Christ's example, but this is not that. This is a totally different mindset and concept. Because Jesus is talking about resisting the evil one. Jesus is ushering in this new kingdom. In fact, in chapter 4, verses 17 and 23, you don't have to turn there. But just before he gives this whole sermon on the mount, Jesus comes to the crowd and his first message is, Repent, for the kingdom is here. This kingdom, 
This, this kingdom of disciples, this kingdom of believers, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, it is here now, and I'm bringing it in. And later in chapter 4, just a couple of verses ahead, it's just that Jesus is going through and he's, he's teaching in Galilee and he's teaching and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is this. There is a different, better, radical way of life, but it all stems from understanding and recognizing who that authority is in our life. All of these verses from chapter 5 to the end of 40, I don't know, there's like three or four verses left. There's six statements that Jesus makes. Pastor Dennis will finish off the sixth statement about loving your enemy next week, I believe. The Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. And it's a comparison and contrast of what an individual citizen's characteristics should be like. He unpacked all that. I don't have to. The whole sermon now takes this shift to a comparison and contrast of what kingdom ethics look like and what it means for individuals who are, who are willing to follow Jesus and who are willing to commit to this kingdom, this whole concept of the kingdom, this whole concept of heaven being in the present culture. It, it wasn't easy to grasp. It wasn't something that was like, oh, well, I, that makes total sense. This future kingdom of God is here now. I'm telling you, we don't fully understand it. And we're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years removed from when Jesus walked the earth. We're still trying to figure out the kingdom now, the kingdom in the future. How does this all work? Are there two kingdoms? No. Those are the deep theological things that we're just going to kind of leave over here for now. Because I want to focus on this. Jesus is presenting this dynamic, radical way of life, this, this dynamic, radical like community, this environment, this, this new society. It's not intended to be a utopia. It's intended to be God-centered, Christ-centric, because it's ruled by a dynamic and radical God. We sing songs about this all the time. The reckless love of God. We sang the King of Kings songs about how the church was formed and how Christ came and everything that that led up to that event. And, And even in the hymns that we sing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Like These are radical, dynamic ideas about a God who is continually trying to stay in relationship with us and a bunch of us who are like, no. If, um, if you're a grammar nerd, I'm not, but I thought this was kind of cool. This whole uh, concept, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it is a subjective genitive, which means it's a noun that modifies another noun that does a thing or this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. Jay, you can help me out. Thumbs up is good. We're just going to assume I got it right. So it takes the ownership. It, it kind of adds to it, it. It makes it different. Like, these are Tim's shoes. Those are Donna's glasses. So that's, that's what this is referring to, but it's more than that. It's subjective, because it's like, it's like I, I thought about this when I was trying, how can I illustrate this the best way that I, I could think of? And I thought about Pastor Derek. And if you remember Pastor Derek, Pastor Derek had a really awesome car. 
But he drove it around, and he showed it off, and he took care of it, and he washed it, and he whatever with the spark plugs, and he kept it clean, and he cherished it, and he, I know, I'm sorry, he's like, I'm not a car guy. So if my car breaks down and the gas light's not on, I'm calling him. But that's the point of it. Now, Derek could have taken this car. He could have covered it, locked it in his garage, and left it there. And it's his car. What's the purpose of it? What's the point? So in this subjective ownership, this is what it means. It means that God is actively at work. The kingdom of God, it is God-centered. It is God-determined. It is the product of God's personal being and activity in and with his creation. There's, a, there's, there's an issue, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but here's, here's what's happening. Jesus is presenting this fifth statement. This is the fifth statement about the kingdom values. This is him getting his disciples to reflect the heart of God, and that is the heart that God revealed in the law. He's not changing the laws. Not at all. He's just saying, this is the law, and let's take it a little further. We understand that. So here's what's happening. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 says, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him as well. I couldn't have asked for a better illustration. This morning we're leaving for church. Rough morning, computer issues, things crashing. But surprisingly, I was pretty mellow about it. Usually it puts me in a tailspin, but I was fine. The weather was nice. I re-gripped some golf clubs, so I brought those in for Ben. And it was just like, hey, this is going to be a good day. We got training today. We're having a pizza party. Like, this is like the best day ever. So I open the door and I hear, she hit me! Why'd you hit your sister? Well, she hit me first. Okay, well, why did she hit you first? Because she called me stupid. And it just, it was like, okay. I was like, I told my wife, I was like, this is perfect. And I look back and I said, girls, your sermon fodder this morning. And Ashley said, don't use their names. That way no one has to know who is who. But that's, that's the mindset. When someone attacks us, our initial response is to attack in kind. Now, Jesus says here, I say to you, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Is it a physical attack of someone actually slapping you? It could be. Jesus uses metaphors a lot. There's a lot of metaphor in here. There's a lot of metaphor and hyperbole that's built on actual laws and rules. So was it, is the right cheek significant? I don't know. Some people really believe that the right cheek is significant because in order for you to get slapped on your right cheek, you either have to be backhanded or hit with the left hand. Both of those signify Someone perceiving you with a lack of dignity. I'm I'm not kidding. It was permissible to hit a servant, a, a, a woman, a child with the back of your hand. Why? Because it's not as strong as your forehand. But it shows that I... That's right. No, I... Or, and this is the gross part, or the left hand. Because the left hand was used for hygiene. Now, listen, is that what it means? I don't know. Is it an actual physical attack on my person? I don't know. But here's, either way, what it signifies is 
there is an element of myself that I have to give over. Whether it's somebody who's attacking my dignity, who's attacking my integrity, whether they're physically putting their hands on me, whether it's like a full-on assault or a simple like push, that there is a response that is naturally ingrained into me to do what? To either fight or flight. Jesus is saying there's a third thing to do, and that's nothing. That is to reestablish your dignity. That's to reestablish who you are. That's to reestablish that you are not going to play a role in this circle of vindication. Here's what Oswald Chambers has to say. He says, Oh Lord, deliver me from this lust of always vindicating myself. He's quoting a prayer, uh, I believe, from Augustine. He says, Such a need for constant vindication destroys our soul's faith in God. Don't say, I must explain myself or I must get people to understand. I ask my kids, Hey, how come the dishes are still on the counter? All they had to do is put them away. All I'm looking for is, Oh, I forgot. But, oh, well, I was going to do it, but then this happened, and then all of a sudden this happened, and I just, I didn't, and then Avery was fighting with me, and then you got home, and I was like, I didn't clean my room. I was like, okay, well, 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 just shh, relax. There's this constant, and this is, my, this is one of my besetting sins, because pride, pride's my best friend. I, we were making jokes the other day about, I, like, I'm, I'm petty. I'm not going to lie. I'm working on it. I promise you I am. But Ashley's like, petty looks good on you. It's a nice color. I'm like, that's not quite what I'm looking for, but appreciate it. So raise your hand if you're petty. That's okay. Like, we're, we're here. We're family, right? But that's the point. The point is... I always have to explain myself. I always have to get out in front of something. I always have to defend my choices. Why? Because it's a personal attack on me. No, it's not. I'm just looking for information. I'm not personally attacking my daughter because the dishes didn't get put away. I don't care about the dishes. I'm just asking, what happened? I'm looking for information. Then I can make a decision as to whether or not, hey, you know what? I forgot. That's a whole lot different than, I was playing Switch. I didn't care. You see, so we don't have to go into defense mode, but this is, this is ingrained in us. Adam, oh, it was her fault. I, you gave her to me, God. Like, what did you expect? That's in the beginning. This has always been an issue. The need to self-defend. He finishes this and says, Our Lord never explained anything. He left the misunderstandings or misconceptions of others to correct themselves. Could you imagine if that was our initial response to an attack? Okay. I don't, I'm not, I don't have to go in defense mode here. I don't have to put my dukes up. I don't have to go 12 rounds with Lenny because he wants to know why. It doesn't matter. I don't have to adjust myself. I don't, have to, I don't have to justify it. I don't have to, I don't have to work at this because what's going to happen? Now it's becoming personal. Now it's a personal attack on me. I want to defend myself. I want to defend my integrity. I want to defend my honor. I for an capital I. That's why the sermon is called I for an I. What am I willing to trade off in exchange for the kingdom? My pride? My lack of self-control? My mindset, 
my worldview, my identity. Jesus makes it really clear. These are not deep theological questions. They're not deep theological statements. He says, hey, this was cool. This was allowed. This was justice. I'm just asking you to take it one step further. Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, Jesus continues using this example. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let them have your coat. Real simple. Both the Jewish world and the Greco-Roman world, they were plagued with frivolous lawsuits. You looked at me funny, we're going to court. And quite literally, you could sue someone for the shirt off their back. I could go in and, and I need food or I need grain. I've got this nice shirt on. It's valuable. I could say, hey, Gene, you got some nice coffee back there. You want my shirt? I want the coffee. Let's get this done. It's a business transaction. Totally legal. Totally fine. Gene could say, I don't like the way you talked about my coffee. I'm going to take you to court. And since I want your shirt, I want your shirt. <laughs> totally fine. Totally legal. So Jesus takes it one step further and says, don't just give him your shirt, give him your coat. See, in the Old Testament, there's two portions of scripture, Exodus chapter 22, Deuteronomy 24, we're not going to turn there, that basically says this, you cannot demand someone's coat for more than a certain amount of time. If they owe you their shirt, you can take their shirt. If you take their coat, you are responsible to turn it back into them before it gets dark. It's their clothing. It's their jacket. It's their blanket. It's whatever. But even in that, there is a stipulation. Jesus doesn't give that stipulation. He basically says this. Hey, if someone takes you to court and they want your shirt, give them your whole outfit. What? That's radical. Why? Could you imagine? What if this is not hyperbole? What if Jesus is literally saying, if someone takes you to court, be willing to walk out naked? Why? I got more clothes at home. 10, 15 minutes of embarrassment, or I'm giving something up. Like, what am I really truly giving up to keep my shirt and coat? Sounds like a lot of this has to do with pride, a lot of this has to do with attitude. He's saying it's not just about what is fair, it's about offering more. Seems like the general theme. Matthew chapter 5.41 says, Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This is not a precept that is found in the Old Testament law. We say, go the extra mile, right? We usually mean we want someone to take initiative, do a little bit more work when you don't have to. But there was, the, the, in, in, in this time, in this culture... It was not uncommon for a Roman soldier to go to someone and say, my pack animals are tired, the donkey needs a break, I want you to carry my stuff. And they were required, there were some limitations on it, they could only take and force you to go a certain amount of of distance and an amount of time, but it didn't matter the day, it didn't matter the place, it didn't matter what you were doing. If someone said to you, Lane, take my stuff, carry it, let's go, your response was to be, okay. It didn't matter. We've seen, I think, through history, there's elements of this where, you know, it's like, hey, we, soldiers could live in your house, and that, that's in the Constitution now, I think. I don't know. I'm not a history major. My wife makes sure I, I should check with her more often with my historical inaccuracies. <laughs> but this isn't Old Testament law. This is something that the Jewish people were experiencing under the oppression of Rome. 
They were being mistreated. They were being taken advantage of. It sounds like there's still a theme of what do I do when I'm being mistreated and taken advantage of? But here's, here's the kind of the, the switch that kind of gets flipped on this part. Is the first two are like, I get that. Moses told us to do this. If I'm going to treat my brother, sister, my fellow Israelite, my, my church member, we've we, we got to do this because we're, we're family. Jesus says it's not just about family. Now it's about these outsiders that oppress you and beat you and, and, and extort you. You've got to treat them the same way I'm expecting you to treat the person that lives to your right or left. Does that make sense? So it's, it's again, it's taking things deeper and deeper. Jesus wraps up this portion with 542. He says, give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. I did list the verse for us to read together in Leviticus chapter 25. It's three verses, four verses. This is what it says, 35 through 38. Excuse me. It says, now in case a countryman of yours, countrymen, right? So that's what we're building on. All, pretty much all of these laws that Jesus is talking about deal with your fellow countrymen, your fellow Christians. He adds that law, hey, and those outside, by the way, it's important to do the same with them as well. But then he says, this is what it says. A countryman of yours becomes poor and his means among you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a resident so that he may live with you. Could you imagine? That's what the law says. Sarah and Kishon, they're destitute. They need a place to live. I'm just supposed to, come on in, bring the dog. Let's have a barbecue. Like, this is going to be fine. It says, don't take any kind of interest from him. I can't charge him rent. Can't charge him room and board. But fear your God so that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at, at interest nor your food for profit. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. This required people to take care of those who were in desperate need of help. Sounds like a no-brainer, but again, when, when we take on the role of authority, the judicial way becomes our individual way and we start looking at it going, you know, Keyshawn, I got a cable bill to pay this week and uh, you haven't really done the dishes or anything. So I'm going to need to go ahead and collect that 50 bucks. It's, it's this mindset like we got to, we're extorting, we're taking advantage of. So now we're the ones who are potentially this person. Almsgiving is a part of just about every major religion. We give. Why? Because it's our duty to give to make sure the needs of the poor are met. And that's it. That's where we draw the line. That's where we stop. And that was okay. That was fine. That was a mark of righteousness. I gave money. I gave my tithe. I gave my alms. I did what I was supposed to do. I don't have to do anything else. Jesus says, here's what we need to understand. I'm asking you to give in a way of yourself that goes beyond meeting the needs of someone without an expectation of return. I'm asking you to go out of your way to meet the needs of someone without a desire to win favor or to look elite. I'm asking you to go beyond what it looks like to take care of those who have absolutely nothing to offer you in return. Guys, this is all about identity. 
Simple examples, simple understandings. The goal is for the disciples, the goal for us is to give up our desires for what we perceive as justice, for what we perceive as revenge and retaliation. Jesus uses these simple things to get us to understand that we have a responsibility to break this chain. It's on us. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to set aside our personal rights. It's a challenge to say, I, I don't want to have to defend my dignity. It's a challenge to, to just stop and go, I'm going to seek after what I think is justice because there's a lot of times where we think we are right and we're just not. And there are some times when we know we are right and the answer is just stop. Why? Because what are we willing to give in exchange for the kingdom. The mark of a true disciple, because Jesus says this, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep to the slaughter. You're going to be abused. You're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to get arrested. You're going to get beat. Like you're going to face all of these things. What's your response going to be? Thankfully, we don't live in a culture to that extent. Are we ridiculed and harassed and mocked? Probably. Do we deserve it sometimes? Probably. And it's probably a lot more than we want to give it credit to. Like, you know, it talks about Peter. Like, don't, it's not, we, we look at being made fun of as like a badge of honor. When you earn it, it's not a badge of honor. It's like, why do people mistreat me? Because you're unkind. <laughs> like, I, it's, it's, it's not a foreign... That's what it says. It says, don't, 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 don't think it's a badge of honor when you're disciplined because you deserve it. Like, it's when we are living in these kingdom virtues, when these kingdom ethics become our ethics, that's when we can look at it and stand and go, you know what, God, I, I'm being mistreated. Something's happening here. But hey, I'm going to keep pushing forward. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep going through. Why? Because a true disciple is one who sets aside their legal and personal rights for the sake of the kingdom. It's an identifier. It's how how we know. It's the markings that we put on ourselves. So you don't do these things unless you're a citizen characterized by what happens in the first portion of Matthew chapter 5. Peacemaker, meek, humble. One who is filled with mourning and sorrow for the lost and, 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 and not trying to make life about me. So that's our wrap up today is the you. And in a minute, I'm going to call specifically for the worship team to come back. But here's, here's the challenge. The challenge is how you perceive God, how, how you look at God, how you perceive God, how you perceive God's kingdom, how you perceive God's role in this kingdom, and how you perceive yourself, your relationship with God, and your role in his kingdom is reflected in your thoughts, feelings, and actions. Regardless of what you say, you are identified by what you do. The God-determined character of the kingdom, it implies that the believer's God experience influences our perception of the kingdom, of what we're supposed to do with it, how we're supposed to live in it, how we're supposed to interact with each other. And that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not like I follow these six easy steps. 
Because let's be honest, like the first couple, it's pretty easy. We could fake it. Don't kill. I never killed. Don't be angry. Well, I can pretend I'm not angry. Right? Don't look at a woman with lust. Well, no one knows because that's in my heart. But now it gets to the point where it's like, now you can't fake this anymore. This is like, this is where like the rubber meets the road, so to speak. This is where it's like, now we really kind of find out who's in to be a disciple and who's just kind of like, I draw a line here and I'm not sure I'm willing to go any further because now it moves from the interior. It moves from this, this, this sort of like minimal, I'm just doing enough to get by to like, now there's evidence and evidence is tricky because evidence proves how you identify, who you identify with. So all of these things so far have been unpacked, and what follows now is this radical code of conduct. The Sermon on the Mount, it's the start, it's intended for the disciples, but it's also for us. It's this call to a radical lifestyle. It's a call that leads to radical community. And here's the coolest part about figuring out kingdom living. It reveals a radical God to those on the outside, which leads to them being drawn in. They're searching for something. And we're searching for something. And we know the answer, and we are able to kind of fill that need and void when we want to, but the world is lost. We're, we're, we're representatives of this kingdom. It's enough to claim an identity. We can say all we want. We're Christians. We love the kingdom. We love doing God's work. But doing, that's what reveals the truth about your identity. And this is where the scribes and Pharisees were disconnected. This is where it broke free because they could say everything. They knew everything. They built extra laws on top of laws on top of laws to prevent you from breaking the law. But they didn't do anything. It wasn't a genuine, true identity of theirs. This is where I'm going to call the worship team back up. And this is where I want to kind of, kind of, kind of focus in. Because what, what this reveals is that we are in an identity crisis. Individually, as the church as a whole, maybe even our church... We're at an identity crisis. And what typically happens when there is an identity crisis is that it turns into a crisis for survival. So the thing to think about and to consider this morning is what is the identity that's going to live? What's the identity that's going to survive? If our individual identity, and this is important, if our individual identity is not defined, if it's not clear, when our codes of conduct, when our beliefs, when our ethics are blurred, guess what happens? So is the churches. Why? Because individuals make up the church. So when we lack clearly marked borders, when our inner discipline has become lax, it's possible that you are in a, that leads to a, a personal crisis or a crisis of faith. Brokenness does this. And that's what we're trying to, what is our identity? What, am I going through the same troubles? Am I dealing with the same things? Is it, is it little sins? Is it big sins? Is it like earth shattering sins? It doesn't matter because there is good news for that. The problem is, 
as individuals and as a church, whether it's Harmony Ministries or the Church Universal, we run the risk of becoming characterless. We lack integrity. Spineless? Is that a reasonable word? Purposeless? It's like that salt, that saltless salt that's worthless. It's, it's nothing. And we see it everywhere. We don't have to get political about it to understand where brokenness is in society. And listen, we don't have to look too far to see where brokenness is in some of our denominational ties. Read the news. Somewhere the values got flipped. Somewhere the kingdom, it was not focused. It was not impacting. We run the risk of becoming these things. This is a critical decision. Membership of a community is not without responsibilities. We have to know the will of God if we're going to do the will of God. If we're going to be these kingdom representatives that Jesus is encouraging his disciples to be. If you want to know the kingdom's mission, you got to, you want, if you want to live the kingdom mission, you've got to know it. Most of us know our constitution, our laws, because we're citizens of this country. Is it the same when we talk about being a citizen of this heavenly kingdom? Are we able to really fully communicate and, and, and teach the gospel of the kingdom? These are blueprints. This is like, here's what you should strive for. Here's how you should behave. Here's how you should do. There's good news. If you're in an identity crisis and you're thinking, I'm, I'm, I got this flipped. Repentance is a really cool thing. It is, it's awesome. It's like Pastor John would say, the, the, the best mental health verse in all of Scripture is 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's like getting picked up, dust off, and put back on the right path. And for some of us, maybe that's what we need. Maybe it's just this is the reminder that, hey, there's these kingdom values that I'm just, I'm just not willing to, to build into. I'm just not willing to grasp hold of. My pride's more important. I am more important. I feel you because I feel that way sometimes. They're going to sing a song. This is an opportunity just to, to pray, to get along with God, just to, hey, help me see God. Am I those first, whatever, 12 verses of Matthew 5? Is that the characteristic of who I am? Are these my ethics? Is, is this the kingdom I'm representing? Am I doing, God, what you've called me and placed me on earth to do? I, I have a purpose. I'm, I'm to be salt. I'm to be light. I'm to impact this world and this community. God, I, I want to live in the kingdom now. Or maybe, maybe, maybe this is the first time, whether you're here or, or watching us on the stream, or you're like, I need this. My worldview is out of whack. My values are out of whack. And what I've been searching for is what Jesus is offering. This is an abundant life. A life of grace, mercy, filled with compassion, forgiveness. And it starts with repentance. It's just simply saying, God, hey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. That's not my favorite word either. But when we recognize who the actual, true, real authority is... It's a lot easier to say, boy, I was wrong. 
You ever try to put something together without following the directions? You get frustrated and you're throwing tools and kicking things and yelling at the dog? Don't, everybody's like, mm. you've been there. And then you look at the instructions and you're like, well, that was way easier than I thought it was going to be. And it's usually one, just one little thing that you just, you didn't put the right screw in the right place. And that's all it takes. And you go, man, I was wrong. Scripture is the instructions of, of that. Jesus says, you want to be my disciples? This is what it means. Do these things. Let's sing. Just stand where you are and sing this greatest eye of faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassion, they not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I playing as we, 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 we do a final kind of close and challenge and then uh, Ben's going to lead us in the last song pardon for sin and a, and a peace that endures I mean th- that is exactly what we're talking about this morning yeah, um, I admittedly so I don't probably read as much as I should but um, Les Miserables is a book I've actually read and I read it before I watched the movie 
And in the book, there's this guy, Jean Valjean. That's always been a cool name to me. But it opens with him kind of taking refuge with a priest. And at one point in the night, he decides, I got to get out of here. And he starts stealing everything. And on his way out, he gets picked up and gets arrested. And they, they bring him back in. And the priest is like, oh, you forgot to take this. And you were supposed to take this with you. And you were supposed to take this. And you just, and the guy's like, what? And the, 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 the police are like, well, okay. I guess this is legit. And, and, you know, we talked about this idea of plagiarism. The Chicago way ripped off the Mosaic Law, which ripped off this. The priest is living what Jesus taught. And the impact that that has not only on Jean Valjean, but for the whole rest of the movie... He's been forgiven, he's been pardoned, he's experienced grace, all at the hand of one person who's willing to live out kingdom values. I get it. You're not a priest. You probably don't. Maybe you have fancy silver and things, but that's not the point. The point is this. Our litmus test. Is what marks this identifier. Is it real? Are we like the priest? Are we willing to deny me, I, self, pride, for the sake of the kingdom? We're going to sing this last verse. I'm going to ask Ben to close in prayer, and that'll wrap up our service for today. We have a number of elders, deacons, deaconesses. Someone is here. Someone is willing to pray with you, is willing to pray for you. If you want to come up here and pray, you can come up here and pray. There's tables in the back. If you want to go in the back and pray and just spend a little bit of time saying, God, how can I be more like you? How can I be your disciple? How can this identifier be clear that I am a kingdom citizen first and foremost? And honestly... If you want to find out what it means to trust Jesus, we can help you with that too. We can do it all. Let's sing. Part for sin. Pardon for sin and the peace that endureth. I know presence to hear and to guide. Thank for today and pride of
Oh.